Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on a captivating exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Our guests today are Rafael Caldas and Zach Ramoltz of Long Horizon Partners, an industry-agnostic traditional search fund looking to acquire a small to medium-sized company in North America. They found synergy and quickly bonded while doing their MBA at Columbia University. And together, they have a wealth of experience in strategy consulting, operations, and finance, working at the esteemed companies of Bain & Company and Goldman Sachs. We'll talk about why they chose search funds how they plan to go about it, and why they think they're ready to be co-CEOs of SMB in North America. Zach, Rafa, excited to meet you both and hear about what you're doing. If you wouldn't mind, please introduce yourself to the audience in your own words. Awesome. So thank you, David. Very happy to be here. Yeah, my name is Rafa Caldas. I'm from Brazil. I grew up in Rio, Brazil. I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. I came from a large family. I'm one of five. And I had a lot of examples of entrepreneurs in my family. My brother started a real estate brokerage firm. My godfather started a restaurant. I was inspired by some examples in my family to go into engineering. I also wanted to understand how things work. So I studied mechanical engineering at the Federal University of Rio. During my undergrad, I worked a little bit at Boeing in Seattle, doing business development. Then graduating, I still wanted to work with engineering and dive deeper in the technical side. So I worked at Shell as a petroleum engineer. I was working with the strategy for the engineering of two large offshore fields in Brazil. So I was doing a lot of very complicated engineering calculations and strategies, but also translating those strategies into clear guidelines to the folks offshore and the platform. So that gave me you know, a big sense of pragmatism of how you drive value in an operation. But then I wanted to see a little bit more of the business side. So I decided to transition into management consulting. I went to Bain & Company and I worked there for a number of years helping different clients in different industries optimize their operations. So I worked in projects in mining, oil and gas, aerospace, financial services, retail. And then I came to New York to get my MBA at Columbia and you know, looking for other ideas to pursue entrepreneurial ventures. I'm married and yeah, based out of New York. Great. Thank you, Rafa. Impressive background. We'll definitely drill into some of that. Zach, over to you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So my name is Zach Krumholtz. I grew up in South Florida. I'm the fifth of six kids. And I think it was always my dream to one day try to run a business or start a company. And so took a number of steps to try to get there. And so first went to Yale and studied economics because that was really the closest thing to business. And after I graduated, I worked in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. That really taught me the nuts and bolts of finance. And then really wanted to understand kind of what makes a good versus a bad investment, what makes a good versus a bad company. And that led me to Crestview Partners, which is a private equity firm based in New York City. And yeah, going into my family roots, as I mentioned, I always wanted to try to start a company one day or run a company. My grandfather immigrated to the United States and started a multifamily real estate business. My father is a doctor who started a private practice. And my older brothers both worked in finance before starting their business, Delight Restaurant Group, which is a portfolio of Wendy's and Taco Bell's. And so thought, okay, to kind of figure out this next step, I think getting an MBA and going to business school is a great kind of path for that. So went to Columbia Business School, and that's where I was lucky enough to meet Rafa and when we started Long Horizon Partners. Thanks for that, Zach. I'd like to talk about that moment at Columbia when you met each other and decided we want to be partners going into search for the foreseeable future. How do you approach that decision? How did you know that this is a partnership that will likely stand the test of time and complement your strengths? Yeah. So it was actually a pretty funny story, which is that Rafa and I were placed onto the same learning team 
which is the group of five students that you join when you get to business school, where you work on all your core assignments together. So whether that's economics or accounting or investing. So we were working together on these assignments and we pretty quickly realized that we had a lot of common interests, really similar values, similar quality of work, similar kind of diligence and striving for, and we were both striving for excellence and everything that we were doing. And I think it was a couple months in, and then we finally realized, you know, we had similar career goals as well. And we thought, okay, this could potentially be a great partnership. So we started to talk more about it and think about what the right next step would be and ended up landing on a traditional search fund. And that's kind of, you know, how we got to where we are. I would just add that we spent a lot of time together during these two years, not only at work and in school, but also outside of work. So we develop a strong friendship as well. Great. Yeah, it sounds like there's probably a lot of uh, bonding moments there as you're working on uh, case projects and what have you. It's interesting too, you've each moved around a little bit. Zach, maybe more on the Eastern seaboard, Rafa between South and North America. Could you talk at all about perhaps some of the cultural differences that you've experienced? I mean, I know Florida and uh, New York or New Haven might not be as uh, radical a departure as Rio and Seattle, for example, but, or maybe it is, I, I don't know. I just, could you talk a little bit about the cultural component to your partnership? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I mean, it's a huge advantage and I think we're learning every day with each other. And I think we make each other better because of the different cultural perspectives that we bring. Definitely, you know, there's a, a big difference in approach between the Brazilian working culture and the American working culture. I think in Brazil, the general kind of stereotype is that we need to become friends first to then work together. <laughs> and it's very different than, than here. I think it's a big strength to us as future leaders because I think we're going to be able to relate to people from different backgrounds a lot easier and be effective leaders and more inclusive leaders and drive more, you know, better results in the organization that we're leading. So I do think that it's an opportunity and allows us to learn a lot. And I think also the different cultural backgrounds and origins here are not only a leadership opportunity, but also can concretely contribute to the bottom line of the business that we're running. And that could mean, you know, being able to expand services to different markets. So try to find Expand into the Brazilian market or, or Latin American market, or even source talent from Brazil, for example, and be able to lead a global workforce in the company are also ways that we could leverage that international aspect. Yep. And just to add to that, from my perspective, as you mentioned, grew up in South Florida and Palm Beach County, which is very suburban. You're driving a car to school and every day. And then now living in New York City, one of the biggest cities in the world, taking the subway. And I think I really loved both. And I really appreciate certain things about both ways of living. And I think that's what really fits well into this traditional search fund model, which is that Rafa and I are both completely ready to move anywhere in the United States or in North America in order to find this great business that we can grow and run that we're really excited about. So I think that's another aspect to my childhood and growing up in different cultures that's really benefiting me now. Yeah, it sounds like you're sowing in neuroplasticity by going through different experiences. Looking at Rafa, your operations and management background, management consulting, and Zach, your private equity, like what makes a good investment and what makes a good company, you seem like quite the dynamic duo in terms of finding a company, vetting it, and then running it very well. Why did you decide search? Why did you not decide any number of career paths? Why is search the thing that you're passionately behind now? So I think one of the things that drove us to do this is we, Coincidentally, both of us grew up around small businesses. 
So my godfather had a small restaurant. My older brother, as I mentioned, has started his own real estate brokerage firm. And so we know the impact that a small business can have in one's life and in the community and you know, in people's careers. And most of the economy is actually composed of small and medium-sized businesses. We're just really passionate about that. And I think the idea of running a business and scaling it is extremely exciting and sounds like a lot of fun. As leaders of a medium-sized company, we're going to have to wear many hats and work really hard to create something we're extremely proud of. And this is just, to us, feels like the best use of our skills and time for the rest of our careers. So it's really exciting for us. Yep, I completely agree. And I think this path in particular, as Rafa mentioned, I think for both of us, it's always been our dream to try to run a company. And this was really the fastest and most efficient and best path to be able to do that soon. And, you know, we can't wait for the opportunity to be able to lead a team, to create an amazing culture, to empower the employees, take care of the customers. It really fits well with a lot of our skill sets. And we're so excited for this journey ahead. That's great to hear, Zach. And it certainly seems like you have all the ingredients in place. I do want to challenge you on one thing you said, though, just from my understanding. You said that you want to create a good culture. And from my understanding, that can be, there's like a delicacy between acquiring an existing organization and kind of adopting, like choosing what to kind of change and what to keep. Have you thought through that at all and how you would uh, work with the existing owner and the transition phase, what that might look like? Absolutely. So I'll start and Rafa, feel free to jump in. But I think when we first get there, to your point, there's going to be an existing culture and we're going to have to really get to know that culture and understand and recognize that that's in place and be really humble about it. And then I think once we get the hang of it, we hope to really just try to build on it, influence it and impact it positively by really demonstrating our leadership, leading by example. And Rafa, maybe you can speak about some of the things that you think would make an excellent culture. Yeah, 100%. I think in our experiences, and I think Zach and I are lucky enough to have worked in some world-class organizations that allowed us to see what the best practice can look like and a little bit of the best part of each because no culture is perfect, right? There's pros and cons. But you know, a lot of the good traits that we kind of take from our experiences are being able to feel like you can speak your mind and where ideas matter more than rank and position. And I think those are some characteristics that are really important. Another one is psychological safety. So really promoting an environment where everybody feels like they're taken care of and there's no risk to their you know, stability or their well-being for just bringing up ideas. A place where there is meritocracy and performance is rewarded and success is celebrated is extremely important to us. Also, a culture that contributes to learning and development. So people actually have an opportunity to learn and are empowered to take on bigger challenges as they do well. And finally, we also think it's extremely important to have fun. Nobody wants to wake up every morning and go to work if it's not fun or if they don't feel like they're fulfilling a bigger mission. So we really believe that work needs to be fun and we want to make the culture fun as well. We want to promote that. Great. Well, let me know when you're hiring. <laughs> I interviewed a gentleman recently who was who spent 20 years in wealth management, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and the like, and then transitioned into an entirely different industry with like pneumatics, hydraulics, like operation, manufacturing, design, and services. Uh, very different, I understand, from wealth management, perhaps some overlap as well. But he talked about getting to know each person in the organization and 
thinking of the employees as owners. Because without the leader, the business oftentimes continues running. Like the leader, in some ways, is the most important and counterintuitively or contradicting, sometimes not the most important. So it really takes that kind of understanding and connection like you described, Rafa. So I think you're on the, the right path there from what I understand. That's good to hear. Zach, I'd like to go back to something you said about the skills and expertise you developed at Goldman Sachs. What in the search phase, what makes a good company? Could you just talk about that at all? Yeah, sort of the the qualities that we're looking for in the business. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think some of the characteristics, so we're looking at the characteristics of a good company really in terms of, you know, the business itself and then the industry which the business sits in. And so from an industry perspective, I think we're really looking for a business that's in a growing industry that has some level of fragmentation so that we could potentially pursue inorganic growth opportunities after we make the acquisition. And then also looking for a really resilient business where it's able to actually perform pretty well, even during tough economic times. And then also an industry where there's pretty high barriers to entry. So it's not like another company could just come in and copy exactly what this company's doing. So those are some of the industry characteristics. And then for the business itself, one of the most important qualities to us is recurring revenue. I think having that feature in the business is just so beneficial to be able to know that when you start the year, you're actually starting with a certain level of revenue without having to go and replace all of it and then exceed that in order to achieve growth the following year. And then from a cost structure, really the ability to be able to leverage some fixed costs in the business to really drive margins over time and then have a high return on invested capital. So if the company does have CapEx, then hopefully there's a high return on that CapEx or potentially even better is that it's not too capital intensive so that there's a lot of free cash flow generation within the business. I would add some points as well. So having a strong management team in place is very important too, to make sure that the work can be carried on and we can develop those people you know, into running the business effectively. Some fundamentals as well in terms of processes and technology. We want to see that and see the competitive advantages that are associated with those as well. Okay. I would like to talk a little bit about that, both in terms of I'm highly confident you'll find many good companies, but what differentiates you from a private equity firm or a strategic buyer? And then what would that transition look like as you're looking at existing management? For example, the previous gentleman I mentioned, he's coming from a different industry. So he's reliant upon the expertise, I don't know, 30 year experience that outgoing owner has. So he's still like talking to him weekly, daily. So I was curious, what would your transition look like? Is it case by case? Do you do you have like a hard, I don't know, 12 months and they're out? I'm just curious if you could talk about, sorry for the two-part question there, but one, why should they sell to you, I guess, over a private equity firm, let's say? And two, what would that transition look like? Awesome. Yeah. So I'm happy to jump in on the first part and then maybe I can turn it over to Rafa for the second part. So on the first part of your question, I think the main difference between Long Horizon Partners and a traditional private equity firm is that after we acquire the business, Rafa and I actually plan to move locally and dedicate 100% of our time by becoming the co-CEOs of this business and are really planning to grow this for the long term. So that's the first is that we're actually planning to move there and lead the company. And then the second is that 
we have a little bit more of the opportunity to have a longer term focus. So most private equity firms will sell their portfolio companies after say about five years. I think for Rafa and I, we'd be really excited to be able to buy this company and actually hold on to it for decades and grow it and become a market leader and really take a long-term approach. And so I think that's what makes us really different from some of those other buyers you spoke about. Then I'll turn it over to Rafa for the second part of your question on the transition period. So David, are you asking about the diligence process or the transition period? Just the transition period. I understand you can't say without seeing the actual company, but just uh, have you thought about a couple scenarios? Like, and if so, could you just talk to them at all? Yeah, 100%. So first of all, I think it's important to highlight that we're very focused on being responsible and preserving what's working well and what's in place. So in order to do that, the transition period is extremely important. So nobody knows the business as well as the owner. And so we're extremely flexible to discuss and come to an agreement in terms of what that transition period looks like. It could be six months, it could be two years, it depends on the business. But of course, we want the owner to stay around you know, as much as possible in the beginning until we're comfortable that we're able to run the business ourselves. And we're also you know, open to different types of structures and partnerships. If the owner would like to continue involved in the business operation for the long term, for example, we're also open to that. So we would be running the company as co-CEOs and the owner could be involved in the operation in some capacity. So we're really flexible. What matters really to us is to find a company that we're extremely passionate about and that we believe that we can drive substantial long-term growth. And it really matters to us that we're set up for success. Okay. Thank you for that. That certainly seems like that'd be an attractive offer for any owner who cares about their company being in good hands. Rafa, I'd like to stick with you for a little bit and talking about, you've got a lot of impressive like companies that you've worked for in your career and doing, you know, working all over in Seattle and Brazil, et cetera. But what is something that you've learned? Can you think of just top of mind, what's something that you've done that would help you in managing a company? Right. So I think one of the things that I learned so I can tell you a couple of stories to help illustrate. So in Brazil, I also worked in the engineering team of a factory. We were designing cryogenic equipment that basically filters air into like pure oxygen, pure nitrogen. And there, I think it was the first time that I realized that when you're sitting on a desk and you're designing something or you're coming up with ideas, there's really, you can never truly appreciate how hard it is to implement those ideas until you go down to the factory shop like I had to do and talk to the people, the operators in the factory and really understand that your drawing doesn't make sense or the sequence of assembly that you put together, it's not feasible, right? So that was the first time. And then at Shell, as I was working with the people offshore and the platform, the opportunity to learn that, you know, repeated itself, learn the pragmatism and simplicity that you need to have in the back of your mind all the time in order to run an operation effectively. So really being transparent, proactive, talking to people and relentless focus on simplicity. So that's one of the things that I think I want to take to the business that we're running to really drive value and efficiency through through the operational excellence angle. I think some other elements from my experience, when I was working at Bain as a strategy consultant, I was dealing with CEOs of large corporations and startups and companies of all sizes and industries on a daily basis. I was sitting, you know, by their sides and helping them navigate through some of the most complicated decisions that they needed to make. And just learning how to think like a CEO and understanding how the CEOs think and 
the very complicated role that they have to play and sometimes unclear role that they have to play in different situations while running a company really equipped me well to be an effective leader and to make decisions effectively. So I think I'll take those two big learnings when Zach and I are running our business. Okay. It sounds like this impossible balance between humility and confidence, where you have to be open to like, just there's always a possibility you don't know. And then trying to like drill down in the five whys or whatever, like you said, going to the factory floor and figuring out how these things are assembled or what they consist of. I was wondering, could you anonymize any of the story around, like you said, you're sitting next to CEOs who are making some of the hardest decisions that they make. Could you anonymize like one case so we can understand what is a hard decision that a CEO has to make? Yeah. So for example, I was working with a very large company that was considering merging with another smaller company, right? And those two companies had very different cultures, very different processes, right? So one of these companies was more agile and they had a very informal process of manufacturing something. And the other company is more established, larger, and they had a very structured process, slower process. Their sales team was centralized in the headquarters. The smaller company had their sales team, what they call forward deployed. So basically spread you know, across the globe at the client sites. And the biggest decision they had to make there is, okay, what do we do with the new corporation now? Do we keep the sales team spread around the globe or do we put them all in the headquarters? What sales process are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the bigger company's process or are we going to follow the small company's process? And in order to make those decisions, those are not easy decisions because in particular, it's hard to quantify things, right? There's a lot of subjectivity involved. So really trying to cut through the noise and articulate clearly what are the key drivers of our strategy? So what is it that we want to achieve long-term? And what do we need to do to get there? So, okay, so these are the three or four things that really matter to us, right? Is, you know, getting the confidence of the client, increasing quality, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now let's compare different scenarios, pros and cons, and then how are, you know, the things that we care about impacted by these different scenarios and then make these decisions. Very difficult. And also navigating through the politics and the different interests that people will have because it, it's natural, right? Some people will have preferences and their lives will be impacted as well by these decisions. So being able to clearly articulate why those decisions are being made across the organization is also a big challenge that we had to help CEOs achieve them. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like we could spend a whole podcast on that particular question, but thank you for giving us a high level kind of context and understanding. Uh, that certainly does seem like that that would be several months of work and yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of ambiguity. So Zach, looking at, at Rafa's background, it's easy for me to understand how he might be of uh, benefit once you acquire a company. It seems like your skill set is really helpful in finding and acquiring a company. How do you see your skill set transitioning into the operations side or what does that look like once you acquire? Yep, sounds good. So I think from my perspective, I think that my skill set really benefits the company post-acquisition in two ways. I think first is in terms of leadership. And then second is in terms of growing the business. And I think on the leadership side, a lot of that really stems more from my personal life that I've developed before I started in my career. I think one of the things is that I'm the fifth of six kids. And so from a young age, I always had older siblings to look up to and learn from. And then I was also able to try to be a role model for my younger brother. 
And so those skills really helped me to develop the leadership skills that I carried forward, for example, to Yale when I was elected by my teammates to be the captain of the varsity tennis team. And that meant a lot because it meant that they trusted me, that I would be able to inspire the team and lead by example. And so I think from a leadership perspective, I plan to bring a lot of those qualities with me to hopefully try to um, lead the team extremely effectively. And then I think on the growth side, as Rafa mentioned, a lot of the things that he mentioned are going to hopefully be really helpful in terms of organic growth. I think my skill set can be particularly helpful on the inorganic side. So through acquisitions. So through my experiences at Goldman and at Crestview, I've had to do lots of financial analysis, lots of investing. And so I'll be able to hopefully find really compelling acquisition opportunities that we can strategically bring into the company to really grow over time and really create multiple expansion and create a ton of value for our shareholders. Well, that seems pretty exciting. I didn't think about that, but now it seems quite obvious. So yeah, you guys, once again, make a dynamic duo. And it's interesting that you both come from large families, uh, relatively speaking. So that's another, you know, that bodes well for you being part of another large family and acquiring a company. And then also just dealing with the differences, different personalities and sharing and stuff like that that might come from uh, dealing with siblings your whole life. So last question for me, uh, if there's anything that we didn't touch on, feel free to add it. But what excites you the most about, like, what are you looking forward to in leadership? Like you, you mentioned a lot of good things, but is there anything that like particularly excites you? Like, this is the one thing that I can't wait to do. Rafa first, and then maybe Zach. Yeah, to me, and we can already see that in practice with our associates that are helping us. I think the most exciting thing about leadership to me is seeing people grow. So when you start really taking the time and investing in people's development, and you see that paying off over time, you know, you see them taking over bigger and bigger challenges, being autonomous, starting to give you know better ideas than you have and yeah becoming just more senior and tackling more complicated problems i feel extremely proud and it's a, it's a sense of purpose that you're helping people just grow into leaders as well and that's what's the most exciting to me about being a leader absolutely and i completely agree with that i would echo that and then in addition to that i just think What's really exciting is the opportunity here for the next few decades to really be able to hopefully become a market leader. And in that path, you know, build a culture that we're incredibly proud of, create an amazing team, grow tremendously. And then in 20, 30 years or whatever it is, be able to look back on that and be incredibly proud of it. And I think that that's a really exciting part of this journey that I'm really looking forward to. Sounds good. Well, thank you both, gentlemen. Best of luck. I have high confidence in your success. Where can people follow you? Where would you like to direct them? Yeah, so please go to our website, longhorizonpartners.com. And if you're a business owner looking to retire or for a succession plan, please leave your email address there in our homepage and we'll get back to you shortly. Or if you know of any business owner that could be a good match, please refer to us and we'll be happy to chat. Sounds good. You okay with all that, Zach? Yep, that's perfect. Yeah, you can also reach out to us on LinkedIn or our website. Yep, those both work great. I'll put those links in the description. Well, thank you once again and best of luck. Awesome. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. Our next guest is Victor Bailo, Senior Associate of Strategy and Planning at Uber. He will talk about personal lessons learned from launching a failed startup, his consulting experience at Monitor Deloitte in Dubai, and coaching Philadelphia's small businesses with a small business association. A lot of wisdom for entrepreneurs. Until then, eyes on the horizon.